Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, When you see that picture, what do you think? What was that? Yeah, yeah, Chernobyl, someone said, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, think, we think at times maybe of times when it has gone wrong, right? But ultimately, when you see that, you kind of know what, that, what you're looking at, right? That's a nuclear power plant. And, and I think at least on its basis level, when we see those huge cooling towers, we think of power. Now, your mind probably goes in a couple different places, Right? So if you are the beneficiary of a nuclear power plant, then your mind might go to, well, I have lights on today, I have heat, all those kind of things, because those are some of the benefits of nuclear power. But sometimes our mind goes the other way, and somebody said Chernobyl, <laughs> right? Or, uh, um, or the uh, Fukushima nuclear power plant that, um, from the tsunami in Japan. Sometimes our mind goes that way. So here's what we realize is that power at times can be used for benefit, but at times when it goes wrong, it's kind of disastrous, isn't it? Uh, where I used to live in Toronto, I lived on the, uh, the eastern end of a place called Scarborough, and we were within what they called the fallout zone of a nuclear power plant. So there was a nuclear power plant on Lake Ontario, and anytime you'd go down to the beach, you could, you could look and you could see the cooling towers that were there and the domes. But when we bought our house there, uh, we got all of our housing documents, and then there was one last document that we had to sign. Can you guess what it was? <laughs> yeah, release of liability, which, so the whole thing, like it's a big enough deal. This was our first house that we were ever buying as a young couple. And, and that's a big enough deal, so like, you have to sign tons of stuff. And I was shaking a little bit about that already. And then like, you conclude this whole joyous kind of happy day with a release of liability for a nuclear disaster. <laughs> it was a little bit of a downer, right? But you read the language, and, and, and basically what it says is, in the case of a nuclear disaster, number one, you need to sign and recognize that you are, you are within the grasp of incredible amounts of power. So if that nuclear power plant goes bad, your house is in the midst of it, right? So you and your kids and your family have to consider that. So that's the first thing, right? The second part of it I thought was also fascinating. Uh, You are also consenting to any paramedics or any uh, um, first responders to give you iodine pills to try to mitigate some of the fallout if it should happen, right? It was a little bit of an unnerving thing to sign <laughs> during our house signing, right? But in truth, it's kind of necessary, isn't it? Because when you're dealing with incredible amounts of power, you want to have full knowledge of exactly what that does, right? Because we know that sometimes power is incredibly beneficial, but there are other times when 
it can be incredibly harmful as well. Today, that's what we want to talk about a little bit, that concept of power. Now, I showed you a nuclear power plant, but I didn't just show you any random nuclear power plant. Uh, this nuclear power plant is called the Satsop Nuclear Power Plant. It's near uh, Elma, Washington. Yeah, if I got that right. Elma, Washington. If any of you are from the Pacific Northwest, maybe you've been near there. No one's ever seen the Satsop Nuclear Power Plant, have they? Okay, sometimes we got folks that are from that area. Um, the Satsop Nuclear Power Plant, this is a picture of it, uh, never produced an ounce of power. It never turned on one light. It never helped anyone in any positive way. It was, uh, construction was begun in 1977, and by 1983, they were about $2 billion over budget. And the voters voted to just simply shut it down. Right? It got to about 77, 78% finish. Two cooling towers were there. These are some of the pictures of it. But essentially, people said enough. Like, we, we don't want anything else to do with this. It's cost too much. Um, we know you've come this far, but we're walking away from it. And so today, if you ever want a trip to the Pacific Northwest, you can actually go and, and you can get eyes on and see the Satsop nuclear power plant, right? That's a picture from inside of that cooling tower. You want to know what it does now? It's a roadside attraction. And it's an incredible space for audio engineers. So if you can take a look at that, it's hard to see the scale, but that's from inside of that cooling tower. And so today it's been used for, for um, audio recordings because of the incredible acoustics that are there. So we're going to see if you can hear this. I've got a video of it, actually. Pretty incredible echo, huh? We'll let it go one more time. So inside of a cooling tower that was supposed to be powerful, that was supposed to power uh, hundreds of thousands of homes in Washington, now the only thing that happens there are echoes from audio engineers popping balloons. That's a little bit what we want to look at today. And that's something that I want you, and I think it's appropriate for us, we're in the season of Advent, where we are looking forward to celebrating the birth of Christ. But I think it's incredibly important for us as believers to step back and, and ask ourselves, what is powering those Christmas celebrations? What's the point of Jesus' birth? I think that there are maybe times when we feel a little bit like that balloon in a cooling tower, that God's power is absent and distant, and Christmas has become nothing but an echo of itself. If that's where sometimes you land, or sometimes we feel, or sometimes it feels like the holiday season is, just an echo of something in the past, a remembrance of something powerful long gone by, our text for today reminds us that it isn't. That the power for, or for Christmas, rather, and for Christian living is alive and well. We see it in the reactions of three people in our text today. That's what we're going to dig into. So you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. 
Um, you're going to find our text in our bulletin um, or on the screens behind me here. But this sets up our context a little bit for what's taking place in this gospel text. And um, this is verse 38, which actually takes place just before our selected reading today. But you can glean a little bit about what has taken place. This is Mary, after having spoken, after Gabriel has spoken to her. She says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So leading up to this, Mary had received that pronouncement, that announcement, that she was not only going to have a baby, but she was going to have the Son of God. The promised Messiah was going to come. So Gabriel had come and made that announcement to Mary, and this is how she leaves it. This is the end of that. And it's a beautiful answer. I think it's a remarkable answer. Because in Mary's answer, we see a level of submission to her God above. And on some level, a recognition of the power uh, and the promise of what was about to happen with her. But I'd also say that maybe it was a little bit incomplete, Mary's response here, right? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You kind of wonder what she did after that. After God, after Andrew, or Gabriel rather said, you're going to have a child, this is going to be the son of God. Angel leaves, and Mary's just kind of left alone. What thoughts would have been running through her head, right? Miraculous what was happening, and submission to her God above, but surely there were other things that were probably running through her head as well. I'm not married yet, right? What will my husband Joseph think? Right? What will my family think about this? What will my community think about it? Probably all of the social structures that she existed in, all of those things surely were going through her mind after Gabriel gave her this announcement. And so it's a peaceful response, but I'm guessing there is a mix of emotions coming out of that announcement to Mary. A mixed emotion until she runs into, not runs into, until she goes to see Elizabeth. And I think that's a good reminder for us, especially during this Christmas season or on a Sunday morning. God does a pretty amazing thing. God does amazing things when we come together, right? You can celebrate Christmas alone. <laughs> you can celebrate the holidays alone. And, and there have been times maybe in your life, maybe it's even this Christmas where you're anticipating a Christmas that's a little more alone than not, right? So you can celebrate the holidays alone, but how is it better? It's better with other people, isn't it? Right? Presumably family and friends. Celebration is better when others are there. That's not only true of just holidays or Christmas. The truth is that's true of our everyday living. Because God has created us as social beings that are relational. And so our joy on some level is increased when we're able to celebrate with other people. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who many of you maybe know as a writer, spoke about that a little bit. He had a good friend, two good friends, um, and one of those friends died in his early 40s. Some of you have maybe seen this quote from time to time. C.S. Lewis remarking about that love between those three friends. He said, when Charles died, 
I didn't just lose Charles. I lost the part of Ronald that only Charles brought out. So you get a little bit of what he's talking about there, right? Those three friends, when they were together, brought out aspects of one another that only existed when the three of them were together. That's true for us as well, isn't it? Our relationships bring out good and sometimes bad in one another. But God has created us to be relational people. And so we come together on a Sunday morning. We come together during Christmas to celebrate together. And so when Mary had received that announcement from Gabriel, said, you're going to have a child, I think her response was maybe incomplete. Incomplete in the sense of the joy that she would feel when she was able to share that good news with someone else. And so that's what our text is today. Mary simply going to her cousin Elizabeth and letting that joy be shared. I'm going to read for you verse 41. And we're going to look at uh, the pronouncement of the births of these children from three different people in our text. One is John the Baptist, who was about 24 weeks old in his mother's womb. One is Elizabeth, who was remarkably elderly at that point. And then the third is Mary. And we're going to be able to look at their responses to God's pronouncement that prophecy would be fulfilled. So let's start with John the Baptist. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Theologically speaking, scripturally speaking, we don't get a lot of insight into exactly what's happening here. What we do know is that uh, John the Baptist was already in uh, Elizabeth's stomach for 24 weeks. So about, she was about six months pregnant. And uh, those of you that, that um, have had children of your own or been able to watch a belly, um, it's kind of equally remarkable and a little bit freaky when the baby moves around. So... If you all want an example of it, just talk to Ashley after the service. Ashley, how far along are you? Yeah, how far along are you? 37 weeks. So, 37 weeks. So as a young dad um, with my first kid, I didn't really know how all this worked. And then there was a day kind of later in pregnancy when I could see like a hand and an arm inside of my wife's belly. And I'm like, that seems like I shouldn't be able to see that yet. So, right? And so it maybe unnerved me a little bit as a young dad, but, but on the other side, you're just amazed. It's absolutely remarkable, right? Well, this was more than just an arm or a leg moving, right? Or a little bit of kicking if you ate some spicy burritos or something like that, right? Elizabeth had felt that, but at the point that Mary comes, John the Baptist, who's in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy. How else would you expect a six-month-old baby to react, right? You can't hear him, <laughs> but leaping for joy. That was the reaction John the Baptist had to the pronouncement, not just that Mary was going to have a baby, but more importantly, and it speaks to the power of what was happening in that pronouncement from the angel Gabriel, that prophecy would be fulfilled. Because remember what is happening in our text here today, what is um, historically and spiritually coming together in that moment. God had been promising to send a Messiah, a Savior, to the Jewish people for thousands upon thousands of years, and in fact, since the Garden of Eden. 
Since the time when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and eventually against one another, and since they were born, their kids were born in their likeness, and since sin entered our world and it stopped being perfect and was more and more broken, since that time, God had said, I am going to send a Messiah that's going to fix what you broke. So now, imagine the waiting that you'd have to have. How patient are you guys? Right? Imagine waiting as a people for thousands upon thousands of years. God had made that promise that he was going to send a Messiah that would fix what is broken. That's what's happening in our text here today. So you ask yourself, why would, why would John the Baptist react to a pronouncement like that? The question we should probably ask is, why wouldn't he? Because God was literally fulfilling in his sight, in Mary, the promise that he had made thousands of years before, that a Savior would come that would fix the brokenness of our world and our lives. And so, John's reaction, he leaps for joy, right? Okay, let's look at our next one, though. Elizabeth, verse 43 through, 40, or four, through 45, says this, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth's reaction is again of joy. Now, uh, it would have been exciting, I think, for Elizabeth to know that her cousin Mary was also going to have a child. We talked about at the beginning how joy is, um, joy is better shared, isn't it, <laughs> with other people. And actually, there's another side to that too. You know that mourning and sadness, in a sense, is better shared. And so, Elizabeth knew that. And she was happy that Mary had come and happy that Mary was going to have a child but in her reaction, you can see something far deeper than that. Because she personalizes it, doesn't it? Doesn't she? Elizabeth says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, Elizabeth knew exactly what was going on. right? Not just we're going to have babies that are going to be able to hang out and play with one another. right? But that this would be her Lord and her Savior as well. And so Elizabeth knows full well what's happening with Mary and what that means for, for the Israelite people and for the world, okay? So she reacts with joy, but there's also a depth there, right? A recognition that God was literally fulfilling in her presence something that he had promised for millennia. And then we get to Mary. Mary says this, and this is called the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. So Mary's reaction. Again, more than just joy at having the birth of a child. And that's definitely there, isn't it? Right? Uh, this may be the very first time that Mary is able to, to actually be happy about the birth of that child. 
She comes to Elizabeth and she finds a kindred spirit. She comes to Elizabeth and she finds a relative who understands exactly what is happening to her. Not just the birth of a child, but the birth of her Savior. And so Mary comes to Elizabeth and the two of them are just absolutely overjoyed. And yet, it's more than just a good family reunion or being able to hang out. Because again, not only in John's leaping in the womb, but also in Elizabeth's reaction, you also see it in Mary's. There's a recognition and a depth of understanding what exactly is happening within them. And Mary does a few things in her Magnificat, in her song. Number one, she says, this is my Savior. And so she personalizes it, right? Christmas and the birth of Christ isn't just for people out there. But Mary says, this is for me. And I think we ought to do the same. When we celebrate Christ's birth, certainly he was born for the sins of all mankind, But the privilege you get to have every single Christmas is you get to insert your name there. Your Savior was born for you. Mary understood that because she refers to him as her Savior, right? But then she goes beyond that. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And so what is Mary recognizing? That this child, which she will give birth to, will change everything. That this child which she will give birth to was the fulfillment of God's promises, promises and prophecies from the Old Testament all the way up to this point. And so there was a depth to her reaction that was more than just joy and, and, and um, rejoicing over having a child. But there was a depth to her reaction that said, this is going to be joyful for people all over the world and across time. And I think it is for us, isn't it? But I think there are also times maybe where we um, lose sight of the power of what Christ is and what his birth actually means for us. Remember that cooling tower at the beginning? I fear maybe at times our Christmas celebrations simply become that. An echo of something in the far past, right? And so you go home and you, we put up some lights and we invite family and friends over and, and there's going to be food and there's going to be presents. But is there a recognition of the depth of what we're celebrating? And I think at times there isn't. And you've maybe felt it. Have you ever had a holiday season that felt remarkably empty? I bet you have. I bet you some of you might be feeling it here today. Maybe even as I say the holidays or talk about Christmas, your mind has already gone ahead to Christmas when you know this person and that person won't be there because they can't make it. This person and that person won't be there because they're gone, right? So I think that's also a reality of our life and our world, isn't it? Like far too often, maybe our holiday celebrations are remarkably hollow And I think that they're hollow because we have wrapped ourselves in the echo of power and and things of the past rather than in the immediacy of who Christ is for you. Elizabeth and Mary didn't have a choice. They rejoiced because a baby was in their stomachs, right? right? And it's easy to be thankful when a new life is growing within you. 
But I think it can also remind us of exactly what Christmas is for us and what powers our Christmas celebrations. Family is wonderful. Lights and presents and all of those things and all the, the, the trappings around it. But at its core, it's the fulfillment of a promise that God made to our world and to you. That's the, that's the thing that powers our Christmas celebrations and ultimately powers our Christian living. Because if God had not fulfilled that promise, it's just an empty cooling tower, isn't it? But the reality of our text here today is that he did. That he looked into our broken world and into our broken lives and he said, I will not let them sit in it. I will not abandon them. I will not walk away from them. I will not leave them in their brokenness. But I am going to send a Messiah. In fact, I'm going to enter their world, their brokenness, their sinfulness, their messed up Christmas celebrations. I'm going to do that for them because of my love for them. And so God's power is not hollow. It is not empty. These are not just echoes of something someone celebrated generations ago, but it is, it is fulfilled and it is present in you and in us here today. Because Christ was born, Christ lived, Christ died, and he rose again. That's the power of Christmas, right? That's the power of forgiveness. And ultimately, Pray that's what powers your celebrations this year. Amen.